Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Ingrid is a 33-year-old single mom of two who worked in the marijuana industry for three years before coming to the realization that she couldn't live without it. I'm Elisa Benson, host of the Cosmopolitan.com Happy Hour podcast, and I'm talking to Ingrid today, who's joining us remotely from Colorado over the phone about her journey. Hi, Ingrid. Hey, Elisa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great, great. Um, We were just chatting before officially kicking this off, but I'm really excited to talk to you today. I think this is a really important topic, and I know that you were saying that you're really excited to talk about this because it's not something that gets talked about a lot. So I think it's really important that we're doing this today. And I guess to sort of kick things off, you know, I know you told me that the first time you ever smoked marijuana was when you were 14. Can you talk a little bit about your personal history with pot? Definitely. Um... Yeah, I mean, the first time I smoked, it was uh, it was pretty intense and definitely smoked a lot. And then um, just kind of, it, it's funny because people always say it's the gateway drug, but I did, and it was the first thing I ever did, but I do think it was my favorite. So I don't necessarily know that it's a gateway drug, but it was always my favorite. But yeah, I started smoking and then through smoking, drinking, and, and trying, you know, different drugs here and there, but but it was always my favorite, so and why, a lot through high school. Yeah, and why was it your favorite? What did you like so much about it? Well, I mean, everything, it's like, there's no hangover. There, it, I love the smell of it. I love, I love the feeling of... Now being being able to to release, but not but still feeling like I was in control, that illusion of control. Whereas drinking, there was times I couldn't control. I, I mean, I definitely consider myself having being an alcoholic and having problems with alcohol. But um, with drinking, it was like I couldn't control it. Once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. And with marijuana, even if I smoked a lot, I still remembered what happened. I still felt like I was in control of what was going on. Whereas like alcohol and other drugs it was just like complete loss of control right so i think that's what i liked about it a lot um so you were when i got pregnant i oh sorry go ahead when you got pregnant oh no i was just gonna say when i got pregnant i definitely quit smoking i never smoked during pregnancy um and breastfeeding but it was like once i was done breastfeeding it was like i started doing a little bit and then i went you know i had different periods of where it's like i didn't really do it that much and then um when i got a divorce it was like I definitely got into partying again. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like I kind of went through these waves of, of using a lot and not using and then using a lot. And then I got really sick after I had my second son. And then once I started using, I just um, kind of went, went, a little, went a little overboard with it. So it sounds like at some point in your life, at first you were starting this because it was, you know, it, when you started, I guess, in high school and you were doing it a lot, it sounds like it was a social thing. It was fun. You enjoyed the experience. You always felt like you were in control. Um, and then maybe it 
did it become a point, you know, following the divorce or following being sick where it felt like it was a little more like self-medicating, like you were using it because you didn't feel, you didn't feel well? Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. And so when I finally became a medical patient, um, I got super sick during my last pregnancy and then, um, just continued to be sick and I lost my gallbladder and had all these food allergies and nobody really knew what was wrong. And so once I finished breastfeeding, I went and got my medical card and, uh, then the, the access was there, right? You know, it was, it was right when medical marijuana first started blowing up in Colorado and became more accessible, but the access was there right. and I had never had access to, to so much or so many different varieties in a quote unquote safe environment. Right. Um, and, and not, not breaking the law and, you know, so it was this whole different thing, but yeah, I mean, I definitely used it. I was scared. I, I mean, I knew I was going to be getting a divorce. I was going to be on my own with two kids and physically I was just not well and nobody knew what was wrong. So, um, I did not want to take painkillers because painkillers couldn't, you know, just knock me out, couldn't do anything. Right. But marijuana, I could still be coherent. So yeah, I mean, I definitely medicated my emotional and physical pain for sure. Right. And you were also, at what point in time did you start working in the marijuana industry? You worked at a dispensary for a while, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, I was in college. I was in college and I kind of started becoming involved in marijuana activism. I was really using it medically at the time. So I thought I was, and I was really starting the, the research with cancer and marijuana and the, seiz- the kids with seizures and marijuana. And all that was coming to the forefront. And I felt like, wow, I'm in Colorado. It's really, really important for me to be at the forefront of this movement. So I started doing a lot of activism and stuff like that. And then about a couple months before I graduated, I got approached by um, a gentleman that I had done a lot of activism work with. And he asked me if I wanted to work for him. And what he did is... Um, he educated people on the laws of marijuana, and then he also had a, a social smoking club. And so we fought really hard with the city. The city kept trying to shut it down, and we fought really hard and was able to keep it open. And it's actually still an ongoing battle. But, yeah, I worked with him, and I did marijuana news and all that. And then I did a couple other jobs, and then I ended up in the dispensary. Okay. And that was where everything kind of really turned for me. Okay. And so talk a little bit about that turning point. Well, the dispensary, um, it was just a crazy environment and because I was working like 70 hours a week and I was in charge of everything. And basically, I became the boss after six weeks of working there. So right. it was like, whoa, okay, now I'm in charge of this whole thing and I don't, I don't really know anything about it. And um, concentrates are really big. So there's dabs and there's oils and there's waxes. And I was, didn't really use those very much. And then it was like I kind of felt pressure to try them for so that I could explain them to the patients. And once I started using the concentrates and the heavier levels of stuff, right. I started changing and I started getting super paranoid and I started um, not being able to get high anymore and just going crazy with like, and I think because I was also so stressed working 70 hours a week is a super stressful environment. Right. Um, and so I started going, whoa, I started, I started not becoming myself. I started like acting very strange and being very isolated and paranoid. And, um, and then I started realizing, and then I was also eye opening for me to see people coming in and how much they were using 
and I had some issues with, uh, because you can get your medical card with your parents' consent, I believe at 16, but mm-hmm. seeing these young kids that looked, they were like 18, 20, and they looked like they were 30. Right. And they were coming in and buying extreme amounts. I mean, obviously, it within the legal limit. Right. But it was like, oh, my gosh, there was, a, there was a moral issue for me thinking, would I be okay with my son doing this? Would right. I be, you know, as a mother thinking about my child coming in? And so I started, started kind of questioning the whole industry and the motives and is this helping people, is it hurting people? Right. Um, so I want to put a pause on that because I think you're saying a lot of interesting stuff. And I, you know, I can imagine, you know, here is something that you had done for a long time that you had always enjoyed. You'd always liked, you know, smoking and getting high and always felt like it was something you were in control of. You know, it sounds like you living in Colorado had a lot of opportunities to sort of fight for this thing that you believed in, which is, you know, activity you know, activism and like the legalization. And like you said, you know, Colorado really being a state that was at the forefront of making all this happen. Um, And then it sounds like you're working your ass off at this like dispensary. But I could imagine that even if that was very stressful and long hours, I'm sure it was also exciting and something that you felt proud of. So it sounded, it sounds like all of a sudden it was almost like, like I could see as you're telling your story how things are sort of building up and building up and building up. And then, you know, on the side, you also have these like emotional issues and your own sort of health issues. So it sounds like you reached a point where sort of a lot of things were happening at one time that were pretty stressful. Yes. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up the exciting part because it was exciting. Right. I mean, when I worked, when I worked, um, you know, for the Marijuana Business Academy before that, we planned national conferences, and I would go to Denver to these these parties where there's free marijuana and free alcohol, and there's people that have millions of dollars from all over the United States, and it was like really playing on my ego and that power trip. You know, I walked in right. the room, I was important. People knew who I was, so so it. It was this double-edged sword, right? You know, it's like, okay, I'm making money. I'm, I'm in the spotlight. I'm making history. This is awesome. And then at, then at the expense of I felt like I couldn't keep my health together. I couldn't keep my family together. I couldn't run my house the way I needed to or be there for my kids right. the way they deserved and the way they, they needed. So it was it was really, really tough. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just, it was <laughs> probably one of the hardest things in my life. Right, yeah, right. Because essentially I was making the most money I ever made. I was using a lot of the skills that I learned. I mean, it took me 13 years to graduate college. I quit, right. you know, and went back maybe four or five times over the course of having two kids and doing this on my own. And um, so to graduate and then to be using my degree, it was like, cool, cool. But then it was like, and it was in being in that position of power, but then it was like not being able to to really make the difference that I wanted to make right. to really help people because I do and I want to be clear about this I do believe that marijuana can help people right. I'm not against marijuana I'm just seeing the way certain things are executed in the industry and of course any new industry is going to have to work out the kinks right. but I think that there needs to be a lot of education and a lot of legislation to protect patients so that they're getting the right things to help them and, um, you know, and eventually so people have access with all across the United States. So I don't want to say I'm against marijuana, but just like anything, like prescription pain pills, like alcohol, right. like caffeine, or it, 
it can become problematic if it's not, um, if the education isn't there. Right. And who, who has the responsibility? I mean, I think that's a really good point. And you're, I think the way you're talking about it sort of does remind me and remind everyone listening that we're sort of at the very beginning of, you know, the very beginning of this process of it being legal, whose responsibility is it to educate people? You know, is that something like if I'm in Colorado and I'm going to buy something, like, is it the dispensaries, you know, is it their job to educate me? Is it my job as somebody that like, you know, wants to buy this and use it? You know, is it something that people should be learning about in school? What's your position on how people become educated? Because I know that's so important to you. I mean, I think it's research. Luckily, we live in the day and age. I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't really have internet access. I mean, right. we didn't. We didn't have. We have. We have everything at our fingertips. So I think it's up to each individual because anybody selling you something, something is going to have a bias. Right. And just like just like any other industry um, that we have, there's people that have great intentions and want to help people, and then there's other people that have intentions that are not always as good and will do anything to sell their product. So. I think it's up to the individual. Educate yourself. Educate yourself on, you know, THC, CBD, CBN, CBA, the different components. Because maybe if you have a medical issue, maybe it's just, and you don't want to get high, maybe it's CBDs that are going to work for you. Right. Um, but I would, I think it's, and CBDs are available nationwide. So that's something that is like, okay, you need something, but you're in a state where it's not legal. Well, why don't you check out CBDs and look at companies that sell you know, organic products that are good ethical companies because even in the CBD realm, there's people that are not ethical. And we're finding that more and more here is what companies are ethical and what companies aren't. Right. But I think that it's imperative for the individual in any and anything that we all need to educate ourselves, I believe, in something and then have the knowledge. And then go to different places. I would say go to different places and see who you feel comfortable with and, right. and ask them the same questions and see how many different answers you get because you don't have to buy something um, just because you're going in somewhere. Right. Um, and where I live, it's interesting because we don't have recreational marijuana in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. We have, um, we only have medical. So that's another interesting thing here is the medical recreational battle that has been, because even though it's legalized in our state, each city has the option to opt out. So it's been a very interesting battle statewide of who who is accepting recreational and who isn't. Right, right, right. Like, even within the state, that's really interesting and a perspective that you have living there of the way that, like, every city, I guess, or township can, like, handle things differently. Yeah. Um, yep. So you said that something that I think was really interesting, that basically at the point where you started maybe to feel like this was becoming a problem for you, that it affected you different physically that you started to feel more paranoid you know what were some of the other physical symptoms where all of a sudden it started to feel like this isn't like fun and enjoyable the way it had always been for you what really changed um well a couple different things basically I started working with a spiritual teacher and when I was working with her um you know, she would always say things like, well, you know, this would work better if you weren't using. Um, but she, I told her I was using it medically, and she respected that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was working with her, it was it was like, I had, it was really interesting, all kinds of things. I started not liking the taste of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting out of control. Like I would be looking at the clock, like I would smoke and then I would want to smoke like an hour or two later right. and then an hour later. And it was like, instead of being able to go four hours or six hours, it was like, I, I would be smoke. And then an hour later, I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to get high again. Right. And that's obviously not feasible, but I was just obsessed with it. And then, yeah, like I had trouble sleeping, um, my appetite had really declined. I mean, I, I was like, instead of eating, I wanted to just get high. Right. And, um, and in terms I of like, like trouble, like, in terms of trouble sleeping, like, do you mean you would like wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I have to smoke again? Yeah. 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 I would wake up and it was like, wake up and I got to smoke. Um, I'd be all like sweaty and just like, I got to smoke. And, and yeah, I mean, it was like definitely wake up in the middle of the, middle of the night to smoke almost every night. Right. And do you feel like when you were saying that you were at the point where you were, you know, not hungry because you only wanted to get high or you can't sleep because you're waking up at night because you want to get high? Like, was this mental or was it, were you feeling like physical withdrawal symptoms? I mean, at that point, I think it was mental, but I definitely have had physical withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. from marijuana. Um, so I was on medical hash oil for a year, and uh, I quit doing that um, because I had to start traveling for work, and I knew that I couldn't bring it with me, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to have withdrawals when I traveled. So that was like a year before I quit flower. But um, when I quit that, like, I would have sweats, and I would be extremely irritable and anxious, and I had super hard time sleeping, um, right. and just felt like I was crawling out of my own skin. So at that point, though, I don't, when I was in the height of my addiction, I don't think that I was having withdrawals. I think that I was just mentally just obsessed with it, and I think that that was my coping mechanism, because I knew I could not continue living like that, but I was so scared of what to do. I mean, right. I built my whole life around marijuana. Right. And I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to get another career because of the stigma of marijuana. So this is a total subject change, but just for a second, I want to talk about our sponsor, Third Love. They are making the bra that I'm wearing right now, and not to go from pot to talking about my boobs, but my favorite thing to talk about. Um, These Third Love bras, they are committed to 100% fit guarantee. Um, So if you are a person like me that hates shopping for bras in stores, um, you can order it online. They have an entire range of sizes. You can wear it for 30 days wash it, really try it out. And if you don't love it, if it doesn't fit, if you're not 100% happy with it, you can send it back and get a full refund, no questions asked. So I love the bra that I'm wearing right now. It's insanely comfortable. Um, It looks really chic. Check it out. Go to thirdlove.com slash Cosmo and you can get a bra for free, um, a a free trial offer. Just pay for shipping and you can go from there. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. So you knew, you know, you're reaching the point where you're basically doing this every hour. It sounds like you're aware that you have a problem, but it sort of felt like there was no way out of this for you. Yeah, I mean, it felt like, yeah, it felt like, um, I felt like it was like, it was like, giving away, you know, it's like walking away from a lover, you know, like walking away right. from your best friend. Um, so, yeah, it was Right, pretty, like how do you even do that? Like how do you even <laughs> imagine what your life would be like? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
how much like how much money were you spending on pot at this point? I mean, I, I mean, being a manager of the dispensary, I got discounts. Um, I got stamp, you know, right. I got a lot of free stuff, the samples and stuff. But I mean, I'd say probably generally, I spent about three hundred dollars a month on on pot. Mm-hmm. And so, which is how not very it much. Affect right, right, right. And how did it affect your social life? You know, okay, so when I first started smoking weed, um, I was really big into that social club that I had mentioned, and so I was always there. Right. Um, it was kind of intertwined with the, with the other thing that I did. Um, so it was a very social thing. You know, I was the weed queen, right? Um, I did, I was on the Wall Street Journal. I was on it, you know, I smoked, I smoked on Nightline with Juju Chang for this, this, uh, mom's on pot or some kind of thing. But I, it was very social for me. So it was like I was, you know, doing all these interviews and, and, and the thing was like, once I started working at the, it was really once I started working at the dispensary, it was like that, that right. would be the turning point because it was like I worked 10 hours a day, then I came home and still usually had to work one to two hours from home. Um, right. And so I was so busy with work, but then it was like also I just didn't want to be around people. I was so depressed. I was so stressed out. That I didn't want right. to bring that energy around people, so I would, even even the times that I did have free time, I would just stay home and smoke weed by myself. Most of the right, weed, right. most of the time, I was smoking weed by myself at the end. Right, right, right. So you know, we talked sort of about how, like, physically, this you know, physically your body was sort of changing, and it went from being this enjoyable experience to being something that you really felt like obsessed with and was affecting like your eating and your sleeping. And then it also sounds like it, there was like a shift in how you were using it socially, you know, you were by yourself versus like being out and doing it, you know, with like friends or coworkers, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so was there a specific moment when you, you know, it sounds like you were aware that you had a problem Um, But, of course, I can totally understand, you know, this is your life. It's your job. It feels overwhelming to get help. Was there a specific moment where you were, like, I, where you really identified that you had to get help and that this couldn't go on? Yeah. um, So my spiritual teacher that I was working with, she is writing this book called Navigate the Great Divide, Finding Your Place in the Cosmos. And it's basically Mm -hmm. this 13-step program. It's basically, it's, uh, it's uh, diving deep into yourself and taking a look at yourself. And so I started that first step, and it was writing your story. And I remember looking at the paper and just reading it and knowing that my life was never going to be the same. I did not know what that necessarily meant. So about four weeks into that process, I was sitting in my bathroom, and I just looked around, and I was like, you're a drug addict. And mm-hmm. and I just was like, you are out of control. You're a drug addict, and this has to stop. And um, mm-hmm. so I was like, I'm going to wean down, you know, I'm just gonna, because I knew at that point with the concentrates and everything. And, um, you know, I, I even though I had the desire to use every hour, I wasn't using every hour, but I was using a lot, okay? And my concentrates right. are like 99% THC. So it's like taking it to a whole new level that I don't think anybody's going right. to know the ramifications of until years down the road because this is a new thing. Right. Um, right. 
so I was really scared of the physical, like, oh my gosh, am I going to have all these physical ramifications? Like, I'm already, like, on this brink of a breakdown. You know, I felt like I was on the brink of a mental breakdown already. Um, right. So I tried to lean down, and I found myself, like, rebelling against myself and wanting to use even more. And so I just woke up one day, and I was like, um, I'm done. And I I quit, and I have never used since, and it's been um, over a year. And um, congratulations, and that is amazing. Thanks a lot. Thank so you. really, you really, yeah, you really went cold turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got rid of everything. It was like I got rid of everything. Um, you know, my medical card. I never, I did not renew my medical card. Um, I just just got rid of everything, and then in. And really, I isolated myself for a long time because um, I didn't, didn't really know who I was without weed. <laughs> so right. I didn't put myself right. around weed. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't go around it for a long time because it's kind of hard to avoid out here, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. And certainly, certainly, like, you know, it was your job. It, like you said, it was your career. Yeah, so I quit my job. And, uh, um, yeah, just quit my job. And I just went back yeah. to, working, to working in a restaurant because I knew, like, I knew I just needed something that wasn't that stressful, that I could work part-time and just kind of get myself back to myself and, um, you right. know, heal. And so do you consider, do you, did you, con- you said, you had this moment of saying like, I'm a drug addict. So you think of it in those terms that you had an addiction to pot. Yeah, most definitely. And so, yeah. And so that, you know, that's a bit in some ways a controversial thing to say, because I think that there are some people that say like, Oh, marijuana is an addictive. You can't get addicted. And I was one of those people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's the funny, the funny thing about it is I was one of those people you know, that I was that person. I mean, I graduated top of the class, my class, student of the year, right. magna cum laude, honors with high distinction. So, mm-hmm. I mean, from the outside, it looked like everything was pretty put together. But um, I understand that it's controversial, but um, we can be addicted to anything. And I think because marijuana is early, people say, well, there, there's no side effects. And, and but anybody that's ever quit marijuana... Um, I pretty mm-hmm. sure can attest that they've had physical withdrawal symptoms. And um, right. they have done research, and I've got some information that's really helped me. But one of the main things that I didn't mention earlier, which I think is really important for people to know, is that when, um, when people smoke um, or use marijuana uh, in heavy amounts, it actually alters your brain chemistry. And mm-hmm. um, it's actually scientifically proven, and if you, you can go research it and find out about it, um, but right, I've seen studies about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and it, it makes sense because if you're stimulating that pleasure receptor every day, all day long for years, it's going to change your brain. And I didn't think that. Right. I, I mean, I experienced that firsthand. So what happened for me is that I had a flat line. So I had about six to seven months of like no emotion, um, right. not not happy, not sad. Like I'd try to cry, like I'd want to feel grief, and like I'd get one tear out, and it'd just be like that numb feeling. Um, right. and then also like I found myself like I'm very, a very articulate person. I'm really good at writing. Um, and mm-hmm. I love to read and I struggle with, and I still, I'm getting it back, but I struggled to write. 
I struggled to read. I had a hard time being able to be articulate and um, charismatic, I guess you would say. So um, I think that that's something that I really hope that there's more research on and that people can, can understand. But not everyone's addicted to marijuana either, and so that's one thing. It's just like alcohol. There's people that can use alcohol responsibly, and there's people that can't. It's the same thing with marijuana. There's people that can right. enjoy it recreational or medically, and that's awesome. But there's also people that that have that can't that, that the addiction takes over and it starts ruling their life. Right, right, right. Do you have you talked to your kids about pot? Yeah, I mean, um, I my my son has a teenage son, and so um, I'm very open with him. He has addiction on both sides of his family. And so mm-hmm. I talked to him about drugs and alcohol when he was like nine or ten, and then right. just really tried to explain to him. Um, and and he knows I'm in recovery, um, so he knows that, mm-hmm. and he's very proud of me. Um, but I try to be really open with him, like, look, this is what happens. Because one thing that that I didn't realize, and that I've been really working on through my spiritual journey and through different things that I do, meditation and and the pillar work, but when you start mm-hmm. using drugs and alcohol at, in adolescence, it stunts your emotional brain. And so I had this huge realization. I found some pictures from middle school, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I realized that that's what I saw when I looked in the mirror. I saw that girl. Right. And that I wasn't acting right. as a woman, even though I am a woman. And so I really try to talk to him, like, look, man, I don't want you to, I don't want you to do it. This is what happens to your brain, and I don't want you to struggle, and you have addiction on both sides of your family. So... This is why it's a really good idea not to try these things, you know, um, right. not from a like, don't do it because it's bad. It's like, no, this is, this is why, this is the effect that it can have on you. So, yeah, I try to be really, really honest with him. Um, and I'm so grateful to be in recovery because I want to be that good example for my kids. You know, they don't see me right. drinking. Because I don't, I, when I made this commitment to sobriety, I made the commitment to complete sobriety. So, no mind, no mind or mood altering substance, substances. So that includes alcohol or anything. Um, and so I'm just grateful to be able to be a good example. Like you know, there's nothing for him to right. see me doing, and there's nothing for him to you know get a hold of. You know, he, there's no alcohol. Right, right, right. And I, one of the other things that we were talking about just before we officially went live, but you were saying you went to a party recently where there were like a lot of people that were using, and just that that was a bit of an different experience for you. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what it's been like now that you are committed to staying sober, but you're still, you know, in the city, but even like, you know, you're a young woman in your thirties who's going out and having fun. Like, can you talk a little bit about the challenges of that? Sure. Yeah. I think there's that challenge of feeling different, um, feeling alone, feeling like, um, kind of isolated in a way. Um, then there's also that feeling of when I share my story, I get different reactions. So I get some people that are like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. That's amazing. You know, good for you. Then I get people right. that are like, oh my gosh, well, I'm only drinking tonight. Or they start justifying. And I'm like, look, man, I'm not here to judge you. I'm only here to love you. And your journey right. is your journey. Just because I'm sober, I don't think every single person in the world needs to be sober. Um Right. And then there's, I guess, that feeling of why can't I be normal? Why can't I enjoy these things like other people do? And when I get in that mind state, I really just try to go back to, to my, my, my inner self and connect with my high self and just know 
Fantastic. This addiction is actually a, a blessing and something great that I can be grateful for because it, it's led me to connect with my high self and my spiritual self. It's led me to to follow my heart, dreams, and passion and to, to hopefully be a beacon of light, love, and hope to the people around me. So I really try to get out of that mental, that negative mental space. But it definitely right. takes up now and then. Right. And I think you are in such an interesting position now with your with your background and sort of, you know, you were very upfront about saying like you still support the legalization of marijuana, but like, of course, you don't use it personally anymore. You struggled with addiction. Like, I think you're sort of an you're an interesting just a really nuanced point of view on something that I think is sometimes looked at as a really like black or white issue. Like you're either for it or you're against it. And I think that is what makes your experience so interesting is that you really see, you don't see this as a black or white issue. You have a much more nuanced perspective on it. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's hard for me to even fathom that alcohol is legal and marijuana isn't. Um, I just, it's, and when I live, I'm so spoiled here that, I mean, when I, when I was using marijuana, it was at my fingertips. It was at my disposal. Right. Um, and when I think about people that still have to worry about getting busted for a joint and going to jail, it does make me sick in some ways. Um, and I right. do, do believe that by keeping it illegal, it's supporting really bad things. Um, right. and it's like, you want to talk about, uh, you, you know, the, the drug war, well, it's like, well, you, by keeping it illegal, that's creating a drug war. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do, I do hope and believe and fully, fully support legalization nationwide and hopefully eventually worldwide. And I really, really think that hemp and CBDs are a huge blessing to this earth. And because of marijuana being illegal, hemp and CBDs are being blessed. And I mean, hemp can replace any single building material, plastic, clothing, it can heal the soil. I mean, there's so many uses for it. So I think that, you know, my energy and focus as far as activism goes is more on the hemp and CBD side, but there's still that mm-hmm. hope that there'll be that nationwide worldwide legalization so that the hemp and CBDs can come through more as well. Right, right, right. And do you think for other people out there who are struggling, do you think there are enough resources available for no. people to get help? No, there isn't. There really, really isn't, um, and it's sad. And I think that there's there's a struggle because um, there's you know all these twelve step programs, and and there there is a marijuana anonymous program, but it's not as you know it is great. But there needs to be more. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more programs and more help and more resources. And the stigma needs to be lifted. People because right. because of the stigma that marijuana is not. Uh, is not addicting, it's hard for somebody to come out and feel like they can talk to anybody because they're, they're afraid. Right. And I experienced this myself. And, and that's why I feel like sharing my story is so important. And whenever I go out and I'm in those fighting situations, it's so funny because I'm like, don't talk about your sobriety. And every time I end up talking about my sobriety, pretty much, you know, <laughs> like, you know, a good portion of the night, but it just, you know, it organically comes up because people are like, what are you up to? And I'm like, well, this is what I'm up to. Like, my sobriety right. is is what I'm up to in my recovery. But I think that the stigma really needs to be lifted because people that have a marijuana addiction, I feel like are scared and, and they don't know that resources are out there. Like they don't know that, that there's these resources, but again, they're, 
there might not be, you know, a meeting in their city or there might, they might not, they might not feel drawn to go to these. So I really hope, my hope is that there's more, more and more resources that come forth and that people can, can feel comfortable saying, Hey, I'm addicted to this and I need some help. I mean, there's, there's support right. for people that have addiction to food. There's support with people with codependency. There's, but there needs to be more support with marijuana so people can feel like, Hey, I have a problem. Um, I know when I came clean about it, I was really scared, and I actually had a couple people come up to me and be like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with marijuana addiction, too. Like, can I talk to you about it? And it's like, well, yeah, let's talk about it. Um, right. But I, I think each even the Even the act of sort of admitting it out loud was helpful to other people in your life. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... I think there's, there's a part of me that always gets scared to admit it because I don't want people to judge me for, for, but it's like at the same time, it's like, how can we ever move forward if nobody admits where they're at? I think that in America, we're, we're always supposed to be seen as these put together and a successful, I have everything together. And like I shared, I mean, even when I was in my addiction, it looked like I had everything together. I mean, I was, I looked very successful from the outside, right. but the people that were really close to me could see my suffering. I mean, I was drowning in suffering. And, um, and I, did people I, in your life, did they talk to you? Did you have friends or family members that said like, Ingrid, you have a problem? You know, what's really interesting is these, these people that I work for, um, I, I want to keep this anonymous here. So I'm just going to kind of be a little vague, but, I worked for some people in the marijuana industry. It was a really intense experience. I'm trying to be positive when talking about it, but it was a really, there was a lot of factors there that really influenced um, the trip. It was a very traumatic and intense experience for me, but they kind of came at me in this really abrupt way and, and kind of accused me of having a marijuana addiction. And, uh, but they were the only people that said anything. Um, but well, well, that's, okay. well, so that's they, interesting. They, yeah. they said something to you, but that was probably not necessarily where you wanted to hear it or it didn't necessarily feel like it was delivered in a helpful or beneficial way. Exactly. It was like the way it was delivered was, was really out of left field and abrupt. And I felt like mm-hmm. in that situation, I was like, and in that situation and in the environment that I was in was so traumatic, intense, stressful, um, down to the wire. And I already had all these health problems. I felt like I wasn't able to hear it because I'm like, that was not what was really going on. What was really going on was A, B, and C. And there's my defensiveness coming up. But um, much gratitude to them for bringing it to my attention later on. I just, it really helped me to know that the delivery and the way you approach someone is extremely imperative because that really hurt me. But, um, right. I had a couple, um, like ex-boyfriends said something, um, they were just right. kind of like, well, all you want to do is smoke weed and you get mad if I, if, you, if I don't want to smoke weed with you because you don't want to smoke alone. And it was like, what? And that, but nobody else really said anything. So those right. were the only people that said anything. Right. And looking back on it, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you feel so aware now that you had a problem looking back are you surprised that more people in your life didn't say something like do you think people knew and do you think you had people in your life that knew and were scared to say something to you or didn't know the right thing to say or do you think you really just were able to sort of keep this image to most people in the outside world that you had everything together 
Um, well, first of all, I just got to say, like, I have so much gratitude and love for my parents. Uh, my parents have loved and supported me through all of my journey in life. And um, even though they didn't necessarily support the marijuana movement, my parents completely supported me working in that industry. Um, my parents probably were, if they saw something, they probably were a little scared to say something, but I also, you know, I, I do have to be fully open and admit I've had a lot of trauma in my life starting from, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty young age and it kind of continued throughout my life. And, um, so that was a lot of the reason I was using so much just because I couldn't face that pain. And, um, and, and, uh, so I think my parents, they probably, there's probably maybe a part of them that wonder, but I think that they also knew about all this trauma and probably also wondered, is it this trauma that she just can't get over? And it's just, you know, replaying over and over in her life. But yeah, I mean, I think that there probably was a couple people that might have wanted to say something, but I mean, I'm not really sure. I, I just, it's hard for me to even understand because I'm not that, it's like I'm a completely different person than I was a year ago. Um, right, right. I can't imagine the person I'm going to be in five years or ten years. Right. And the commitment to right. sobriety is, and I like to call it clear-minded. I feel like sobriety is like kind of like somber and it's like, uh, but clear-minded is what I like to call it. And I'm, I'm making this commitment for the rest of my life on this planet. You know, um, I believe it's mm-hmm. imperative for me to stay sober. It's life or death for me to stay sober. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So what's, I think, I think, thank you so much, Ingrid, for sharing your journey. I think you have an amazing story and I think it's so important for you to be able to talk about it. What do you, what is next for you? And I know you're committed to advocacy and to sharing your story. What do you, you know, I love hearing you say that you don't, you're so excited for who you will be in five years. What do you think is, what do you really want to focus on over the next year personally? Um, well, I have a couple of things I'm focusing on. So, um, my spiritual teacher, the one that's writing the book, Navigate the Great Divide, Finding Your Place in the Cosmos. Um, I've started a women's group and the basis of that women's group is that book. So that's something I'm really passionate about. It's basically a safe space for women to share, um, share them with themselves, connect with themselves, each other and the earth. And so that's something I'm super passionate about. I'm also, um, writing a book, um, called From Addiction to Alchemy. So um, just a, a journey, um, a story of my journey of transformation. And my hope is to, to, become, to become a public speaker and be able to share my story with others and just help people connect to them, their true selves and to live and achieve mm-hmm. their dreams in this life. Um, I do have my own business, so I've been working on that and building that up, and that's the basis of my business, is basically helping people go after their dreams and um, helping them define goals and figure out ways to, to live their dreams. So I just truly want to continue to live my mission here on earth, which I believe is to help people connect with their true selves and live their dreams in this life. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's great. It's great to hear you say that you're back to writing, which was something it sounds like when you were feeling at the height of your addiction that you just weren't even, even able to do. So it's amazing to hear that you are really living your living your dream in a way that a year ago didn't even feel possible. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, even as you say that, it's like wow. You know, it, it is true. And and um, yeah, I'm super grateful. And definitely want to say that my main goal is just to be present for my children. 
and to be there for all those moments for them. It goes so quick. You blink your eyes and you're, you got a teenager. And so my over, <laughs> my overarching goal, um, those are, you know, my personal goals, but also my personal goal is just to be an amazing mom and an example to be present for my kids because they are the future generation. They're the ones that are going to continue, um, moving forward on this planet. So that's, that's a, a big forefront of, that's the driving force of everything that I do. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Ingrid. I appreciate it so much. It was so great um, to hear your story and to everybody out there listening. Um, Ingrid, is there some place that people can contact you or find you? Do you have a website? I do have a website. So my personal business website is Fire It Up Consulting. So yeah, Fire Fire It Up Consulting. Yeah, Fire It Up Consulting. Um, You can find me on Twitter at ConsciousAngel7. And yeah, um, just, uh, feel free to reach out and I would, uh, love to, uh, to help anybody, to help anybody live their dreams. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Ingrid. And to everybody listening, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the cosmopolitan.com happy hour podcast. Please subscribe and share it and rate it and like it. And Ingrid, thank you again. This was awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very grateful to be here and, um, I really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.